Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. But I'm worried that our listeners are going to think that we just have nothing to say. But why would be we be worried about that? Well, because we're just going to talk about what we did on our summer vacation, oh. and that doesn't sound very impressive, right? Well, I don't know. Um, I, oh, wait, we're recording. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's, never mind that bit there. Oh, so we had an interesting summer vacation, didn't we? Not together. You know, it's funny. You were doing things throughout the summer with your audio set up at home, and we never talked about it. Um, and you know, we talked about well, it, we, but we didn't podcast We didn't record the conversations. Um, <laughs> Sometimes we should do that and we could save ourselves a lot of trouble. Well, that's what, that's what ordinary podcasters do. They just put the mic on the yes. kitchen table and start talking. Yes. Um, no, uh, you, uh, had been working on, on minimizing your whole office area over the summer. And I don't think you ever mentioned that. And the, you know... When it comes to the idea of minimizing, it's like, well, how how minimal do you want to go? It's like, do you want to just have a room with a desk and a chair and a wire in it? <laughs> or, you know, what did you, you want know, to do? That would be my ideal. A room with, uh, I'd like some art on the walls, but white walls, a desk, speakers, computer, that's all I want. But obviously, I can't so do So you that. want it to look like a museum, Pete. You want to walk into like a museum and uh, or a uh, an art gallery, and you want to like work <laughs> something like that. Well, my goal was to remove distractions. Uh, I have a desk, which is, what is it, six feet wide? So it's fairly wide, and I've got plenty of room for my iMac in the center, for a pair of speakers, for my écritoire, a little writing desk on the right, which is, you know, sometimes I write on it and I store things in it. But I'd gotten to the point where things had piled up on the desk. I kept my laptop to the left, and I had maybe um, an iPad over there and a pile of papers, and it just it reached a breaking point, and I had to simplify things. We have a rule in my house. If, if, if there's a pile of things, it's time to clean. And so, you know, and a dining room sideboard starts to pile up with books. Someone's got to say, hey, the books, put them away. It's time to, yeah. time to tidy up. Yeah. So I know what you mean. Well, this is my work environment, and I'm the only one who does that. Uh, you know, my partner doesn't come in here and do anything. You know, you don't want someone touching your studio there, do you? Uh, no, no, I don't. No, no. So. in fact, people are afraid to come in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to the point where I wanted to just get rid of everything, and the thing is. I don't think I've mentioned it here, but I've mentioned it on other podcasts. For for three, three and a half years, I was using a 27-inch iMac on my desk. And when I upgraded a year ago, I downsized to the 21 and a half inch because I was tired of having this thing filling my field of vision. And uh, I, this isn't a computer show, but one thing I would love is if the iMac didn't have that inch and a half wide bezel all the way around it and then that big chin with the Apple logo because it takes up more space than what it needs and, you know, I see this during my work day. I work here a lot. Sometimes I work on my laptop in the comfy chair or on my iPad. But it got to the point where I just wanted to eliminate as many distractions as possible. Those extra dongles that are over on that side and those cables over there and the headphones. And so what I did is I basically swept everything off my desk. I did a whole bunch of rearrangement. 
I got this new shelving system by a company called Vitsu, a Danish company. They're designed by Dieter Rams. If you don't know who Dieter Rams or Dieter Rams is, he was Johnny Ives' biggest inspiration. I'll link in the show notes to a documentary about him that I think just came out on iTunes this week. It was on the BBC. A short version was on the BBC about two weeks ago. And so Dieter Rams was worked for Brown in Germany. He made those wonderful watches and clocks and uh, razors and all sorts of things. And, and you see in this documentary some of the, like the hi-fi cabinets that he made back then, which were really impressive. And so he made the shelving system and they created it in 1960. And it's still, today's pieces are still compatible with the original. It's these vertical rails and you put these shelves and cabinets on them and it's great. So Back in that end behind me, uh, if you don't see it, I'm pointing over my right shoulder. I have these shelves set up where I've stashed a lot of stuff that I don't need immediate access to. And I've got books and other things. And over there on the left, I have another cabinet, which has, it's one of those Ikea cube things. You've got one behind you. And, and it's got some of those little drawers in it to put things that, you know, dongles and cables and some shelves with books. And basically, I've made the environment much more clutter-free. I don't want to go all Marie Kondo about it because that wasn't the goal, but it was just to get rid of the visual distractions. And so as part of this, the reason we're talking about this is because we're not a interior design podcast, but we're an audio podcast, is one of the things I wanted to do was change my speakers. I have two sets of speakers in my office. I have a, a smaller pair on my desk and a larger pair that I listen to from the comfy chair. And previously, the comfy chair was looking at my desk and the two larger speakers were to either side of the desk. So I, I had like that, the, the point of the triangle was directly opposite my desk. And should so also explain that you should also explain that your office is a square, but you are in the corners. So yes, yeah, my desk is on an angle, like a forty-five degree angle to each of the walls in a corner, which means I don't have a wall right in front of me, but I can also see out the window to my left. So I get to you know look at the wheat field over there as the wheat grows. It's kind of interesting. But this is not it. a wheat field podcast. This is not a wheat field growing podcast. So. In any case, so one of the reasons I wanted to change my speakers is because they were black. Now, I know that sounds dumb, but the big speakers I had bought in 2012, the smaller ones on my desk I bought in 2013, they were both focal chorus. Great speakers. I love the sound of focal chorus. They have a really neutral sound. They're not bass heavy. They're not tinny. Really good speakers. But I got tired of this, this sort of angular front grill that was on the speaker and the ugly logo and it was black and it takes up space and so i wanted white speakers plus doesn't black suck in all the light it, it absorbs happiness oh well but this is not a metaphysical podcast no but that's why all the punks dressed in black because they wanted to absorb the ambient happiness oh i see very interesting so i got two pairs of speakers for my desk i got q acoustic I think it's I-150. I'll put a link in the show notes to be precise. And for the listening area, which now I've shifted the comfy chair, so it's not looking at the desk anymore. It's not looking at, it's not looking at the apex of the triangle. It's looking at a, a wall right, opposite. Right. And so those, I got a pair of Kef. Maybe those are the 150s. I'll, I'll, see, I should have prepared this. I didn't know that the mic was on. Uh, we were going to start right away. But anyway, so I got a, a Q Acoustics pair, kind of small. And the Kefs are, you know, largest bookshelf speakers. And I'm very happy with both of them. You know, it, it's kind of risky to buy speakers without hearing them. 
Yeah. And I talked to people like Chris Conacher, who has heard every single pair of speakers in the world and recently spent an amount of money on speakers that I think we're going to have to talk to him on the podcast about because... Have to talk him down. You could have bought a few cars for that much money. He, he confirmed my thought, particularly about the kefs. And the kefs have a sound similar to the focal chorus, you know, very neutral, not boomy, uh, uh, delicate sound. Uh, you know, I remember when, when I bought the focal chorus in France, I tried a bunch of speakers in a small hi-fi shop. And I remember the Bowers and Wilkins, which are really popular. And they have this really high bass. It's kind of like Beats headphones bass or HomePod bass. And, and that's not what I like. And, and in addition, I have a subwoofer. I'll link to the episode that we did about subwoofers in the show notes. Also, you should post some pictures, if we can, on the website, because it does, you have minimalized, is that the right word? Minimalized? I, that's the word I'm using. Minimalized your, your office. And it, I mean, there is no clutter. There's nothing on your desk. I, I, I don't know if I could do that, but <laughs> I, there's really no distractions. And the speakers you bought, they look fabulous. They really look great. Yeah, they do. And they sound great, too. And so the, the Q acoustics are fairly small, but this is near field listening. So you don't need something very big. You don't want something very big. I was really tempted by those new Kef wireless speakers, but at a thousand pounds a pair, I thought I'd, you know, wait until the yeah. ship comes Didn't in. Didn't Sonos just come out with something new? Sonos came out with three new things. One of them is called the Move, and it's a portable speaker with, it's got a handle in the back. How do you describe it, the, the shape of it? It's sort of, it's sort of cylindrical, but then there's a recess in the back so you can pick it, pick it up and carry it. It works on battery. You can use AirPlay and Bluetooth, but it's 400 bucks for a single speaker. Now, I, I don't doubt that it sounds good for an outdoor speaker, but 400 bucks is a lot of money for just one outdoor speaker when you can get, you know, a lot cheaper. When you, when you call it an outdoor speaker, I hear, that, I hear that applied to a lot of different kinds of speakers. When An outdoor speaker, is that just something that's portable that you're going to take with you in and out? Or is that something you just leave by the pool all summer? I mean, how does that, what, is, what do they mean? Uh, no, you have to take this in and out. I don't think it's waterproof. Uh, you know, for when it rains, I don't think you want to leave it in the sun either. It's black. It's going to pick up That's the what heat. I wondered about. I think the idea is simply that you can take it outside without needing a wire. Okay, so they call it an outdoor speaker, but, you know, back in our day, they called that a portable speaker. Well, they called that a boombox in our day. Or, okay, well, but I mean, is it like an outdoor speaker? It makes it sound like you can take it camping and leave it outside the tent, you know, and you, it's yeah. that's not what you do with it. Yeah. So the, the second thing they released is the Sonos One SL. I don't know what the SL sounds for. It's essentially a Sonos one without Alexa, without the microphones. Sans Lexa. Sans Lexa, yes. Alexa-less. It's $179 compared to $199 for the Sonos one that I have. If you want to buy Sonos ones, save the money. Yeah, get spend 20 bucks less if you don't use Alexa. And I think it's kind of weird that they make a different version to confuse people. And the third thing they have is the Sonos port. That's for use on ships. Well, it could be for use on ships, but the goal is to, it's essentially a wireless device to connect to something else. So you would connect this to an existing stereo, the same way that you use, say, an Airport Express, an Apple TV. It's 400 bucks for that, which seems pretty expensive for what it is. What does it do exactly? Is it just a conduit to your, your yeah. wireless audio system? Yeah, it has RCA in and out. It has digital out. It has Ethernet. It does AirPlay 2. But basically, that's all it is. It's a box to... If you have an, Let's say you have an expensive stereo and you want to be able to use AirPlay 2 on it. 
you connect this to it and stream the AirPlay 2 through it. It's got an optical out, so you can even use your stereo's DAC. So, but 400 bucks for that, that's really aiming for the high end. But you know, it doesn't feel as steep as like the original Sonos speakers did. I always remember thinking, well, they're just above about what I want to pay for. Yeah. Well, they had a device like this previously. I don't remember the name. It was, I might have called it the Sonos Bridge because it was meant to sort of bridge from there. This is when they had their own proprietary network instead of using your own Wi-Fi. So you would have to use this to get it to a stereo. And I think it was like $349, which, I mean, seriously, if you want to do this, buy a used Apple TV 3, which has an optical out stream to that with AirPlay 2, and you'll be fine. So anyway, to bring us back to where you wanted to go wireless. Well, I, I went wireless when I got the Sonos Amp. So my speakers are still connected to that. And I bought one of these little switching boxes to have two speaker zones, but there is no audio coming out of my iMac. And, and the advantage of this is that I can stream from my iMac to the amp. I can stream from my iPhone or my iPad when I'm sitting in the comfy chair and reading. It's a lot more flexible. So get, getting back to the caps at a thousand pounds, I really wouldn't want that. I mean, I've already got the Sonos amp, which is relatively new, which costs 600 pounds. It would be nice to have something to not need an amplifier. And that's probably the next step a few years down. Something to not need an amplifier. I mean, like a powered like speaker. full wireless speakers like the Kefs, the LS, I think it's LS50. I'll link in the show notes. I, I didn't do research. I didn't know <laughs> the mic You can't on. keep using that as an excuse for not being, you know, having your wits about you. No, I know. So the, what did you do this summer? Well, I did, I've been doing a lot of development because of, of the changes that are happening on the Mac OS. So I didn't have a chance to do a lot of audio stuff, but I do have a problem to report. I think most people remember that I have like these little audio stations around the house that are connected to uh, airport expresses and are powered by Class D amps and hooked up to little speakers so I can have music around the house. And it worked great uh, with airport and it worked great when that was working. But, but in January, I bought a, an Orbi. Netgear Orbi mesh Wi-Fi system. Oh, it's terrific. It yeah. is just the bee's knees. But the connections to the airport expresses have been deteriorating lately. And for some reason, I cannot log on to the airport, some of the airport expresses. It just won't make the connection through the Orbi. It works if I'm on the phone sometimes. It sometimes works on some of the iMacs, some of the desktop. It's, it's hit or miss. I haven't been able to figure it out. I... I haven't spent a lot of time looking into it, but it's it's been kind of a bummer because we've had it now. We have to depend on our Alexa in the kitchen to play, you know, background music because the 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 speaker station in the, on top of the fridge in the kitchen is kaput, and because we have to use that, I'm more concerned about having Alexa around. Well, if you were to want to declutter your audio system you're a prime candidate for some of those sonos one speakers yeah that's what i've been thinking because you've been using these airport expresses for what four or five years easily yeah for a long time i, I think the problem there is so i also have the netgear orbi i bought it about almost three years ago i don't think it plays well when you're connecting other wi-fi devices to it where you're extending the network so they make these little plug-in extenders netgear for the orbi thing but they only have, uh, they might have an Ethernet jack, but that won't work in your speakers, right? I don't think they have an audio jack. The thing about the Airport Express is you're using the audio jack that's in it. Which, exactly. when Apple came out with that, that really was an innovation. Do you remember that? Oh, 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I really lusted for one of those. I thought that was the most amazing thing to be able to, you know, send music around your house like that. Air tunes, they called it. Yep. Air tunes, another name that's being forgotten as iTunes is going by the wayside. We were originally planning to do an episode today talking about Apple's new announcements, which we're recording Wednesday, and it was on Tuesday the 10th, and we figured there would be something about music to say, but there was nothing about music to say. There was nothing about anything to do with the desktop at all. There was nothing... No, at all. And so what, what they announced is that iOS 13 is coming out on the 19th of September, so that's next week iOS 13.1 is coming out on the 30th because there's a whole bunch of features that aren't in iOS 13. And anyone who's using the developer or public betas knows that the betas are already up to iOS 13.1. So there are these additional features. But they've said that they're delaying the release of macOS Catalina to October. And what I'm thinking is that there's going to be another Apple event sometime in October because the Mac Pro is supposed to come out in the fall. And that would be the right time to talk about Catalina again, because they're going to have to. Maybe they'll bring out an iPad Pro at that point as well. Now, see, I watched the uh, event, and I I watched it with the sound down, because I, I don't like listening to all the shills in the audience <laughs> whistling and, and whooping it up every, at, every, yeah. at every announcement at the same enthusiastic level. I just find that just very... I'd rather just read a press release. But I was very surprised that they didn't talk at all about anything to do with Mac OS or music for that matter. Yeah, they're going to have to come out and, uh, you know, they did this at the WWDC in June. Uh, Craig Federighi came up and talked about splitting up iTunes, but they're going to have to do it again at some point. Not everyone pays attention to that. It is going to be a big change for people with Catalina, uh, for some people positive, for some people negative. I'll link in the show notes to a couple of episodes where we've talked about this because we're both using the beta and I'm updating my iTunes book which I don't know what it's going to be called yet. We haven't decided. Take control of the app formerly known as iTunes is my <laughs> preferred choice. That's the working title. But I don't think that's, I think it's a little bit too long. We won't really repeat what we've said. You might like it, you might not. They got rid of the column browser, ARG. There are a couple of other features they got rid of. It's simpler and... It's the essence of iTunes. It's the same. It's virtually the same thing. It's just stripped down and... I don't think there are yeah, that many with, with, with missing some of the power user features. And it's kind of funny because uh, on a couple of forums, I've been seeing people complain about this. And my reaction is like, dude, you've been complaining it's bloated for years. And now they de-bloat it. <laughs> right. And they take away the feature you want. And that's the, isn't that what it always is, right? right? Of course. Um, you don't care uh, if anyone else wants to use the features that you don't want. That's just bloat to you. But when it's your feature, it's personal. Well, I, I you know, I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but, you know, they got rid of the column browser, but the visualizer is still there. <laughs> and in my thought, it's like, who uses a visualizer? It's like, let's go up to my place and we'll put the iTunes visualizer on. <laughs> iTunes visualizer and chill. And I just don't think that that's happening. And so I wonder, it's like, well, who uses a visualizer? And I mean, they even reduced that a few years. You can't use third-party plugins with a visualizer anymore. You have to just use... Yeah, with iTunes 12. Uh, and yeah. Why even bother leaving it there? I'm sure it's kind of... Uh, That's a good question. We'll have to see if we can get an answer to that at some point in the future. I'm I'm kind of surprised that they don't actually have some sort of Apple Music slideshow thing. Do you remember you used to be able to have a slideshow with your oh, album right. artwork for a screensaver on your Mac? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm surprised they don't have a thing like that in iTunes. Well, the music app, something like that, that when you are listening, the screen can go dark and you'll get something, something music related other than the visualizer. You know, it's funny. You don't have a visualizer on your phone or the iPad. 
Well, if you're listening to me... Right? I mean, when you're playing music, you don't have some kind of psychedelic, uh, you know... For me, the visualizer on. was always, uh, for that period of human existence, when the computer was at the center of a room, and some people actually used it as a TV with a DVD player. And so if you were listening to music through the computer, maybe you had speakers plugged into it, it would be there at the center of the room. And so putting a visualizer on for a party would be... Nerdy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, when I, I was a teenager, we would have enjoyed that. I remember it being very popular at that time when customizing your Mac was a big thing. But I don't want, you know, let's not wax too nostalgic. But that's the sort of thing that it's, uh, that it's descended from that. And, and that yeah. it's still there. It's like it's a living dinosaur. <laughs> well, but if you don't want to use it, you can just ignore it. I do. And isn't that the thing about all these features that you don't like and that someone else doesn't like? You don't have to say it's bloated. You don't have to criticize it. Just look the other way and listen to your music. You actually sent me a picture the other day of a completely minimalized music app. Yes. With just, it was just the left column sidebar. The left sidebar had one thing in it. It was albums. Yep. And then it was just a songs list. And that was it. And it yeah, I'll, I'll publish something on my blog when Catalina is released. It's pretty simple. You can turn off Apple Music, you can turn off the Apple Store, you can hide the playlists, and you can just have, say, albums and artists or whatever you want. Or you can just have, you have to have one sidebar item, albums, artists, genre, whatever, but you can use the search field. So if you know what you're looking for and you've got your home library, you can do that. And it's quite minimal. Very two things you can make it very small in fact you can even use the mini player like that because it's got a search field in it as well so if all you want is a tiny controller to get out of the way but if you know what you're looking for i mean if you know what you want to listen to in your library unlike you're browsing and you want to find something which is where album view comes in handy but you can switch back and forth between the minimal view and the mini player so there's something for everyone <laughs> that ought to be their slogan <laughs> the music app there's something for everyone <laughs> <laughs> all right time for our next tracks this week we're fortunate that the amazon guy came before we started recording we have a joke that my amazon deliveries always come when i'm recording a podcast and i got this which is a box set of andre tarkovsky's films it's seven of his movies on Blu-ray. And last week I was thinking, you know, I hadn't seen any Tarkovsky films in ages, and I'd really like to see them. If you don't know Tarkovsky's films, they're all very pensive and slow, and I won't say too much about them because this is not a movie podcast. But, so what's interesting is the other day I was listening to an ECM playlist on Apple Music, and they have like a new and forthcoming or something. It's like an eight-hour playlist, and I put it on shuffle, and something came on that just grabbed me. And it turns out that it's a record by the Tarkovsky Quartet. It's called Nuit Blanche. It was released in 2017. The Tarkovsky Quartet is François Couturier, who is a French pianist, a cellist, a soprano, saxophonist, and an accordionist. And the quartet was formed in order to make music that provides the same feelings and emotions as Tarkovsky's films. And that's always pretty difficult, you know, that programmatic music thing, when music is supposed to sound like something else. If you look at reviews of 
this album and the others, there are four of them all together. They're not all called Tarkovsky Quartet, but they're all related to Tarkovsky. Each of the titles of the tracks is somehow related to Tarkovsky. Some have the names of his children. Some have some have phrases from films, etc. You know, this kind of ECM music that doesn't fit in the genre slot. There's a bit of jazz. There's a bit of sort of ambient, the modernist, Feldman-esque, Cage-esque sound. It, it's one of those things. Can't describe it. But it's interesting. It's intriguing. I've been listening to these four albums over and over for the past few days. This one in particular, Nuit Blanche, which is the most recent one, has some really wonderful tunes. Uh, some of it is improvised, but not all. Uh, the, on the different records, there's less improvisation or more improvisation. Some of it has classical influences. There are echoes of Bach and, and Renaissance music. But as a sound project to create an atmosphere, I think it's really successful. Whether the atmosphere actually replicates that of Tarkovsky's films, it depends on how you interpret the films. But I find this music fascinating. Doug, I think the perfect foil to my next track would be something like the Ramones. Oh, no. I got the, I, This is the perfectly opposite of that. You know, I completely forgot that I had to pick an extract today. So Kirk, before we started recording, said, well, what do you plan on listening to later this morning? And I said, well, I don't know. Let me check my column browser in iTunes. And I'm looking for something that's to catch my eye. And what caught my eye was Three Dog Night captured live at the forum. I'm not a Three Dog Night fan by any stretch of the imagination. I think they're schmaltzy pop to the max. But... They're an interesting band. Three Dog Night is known for the three singers that are out front, but the band backing them up was also, well, I, I think they deserved as, as a lot of the credit for the way the, obviously the way they sounded, and their arrangements of the cover songs that they do. And this is their third album recorded live at the Forum, wherever that is, Los Angeles. And they do a few cover songs. They do Heaven Is In Your Mind, which is a traffic song. They do Feeling All Right, Dave Mason traffic song. They do Chest Fever, which is a band song. They do Try a Little Tenderness, which I think they had a, a fairly uh, popular hit with. And they do some of their songs, One and Eli's Coming and stuff like that. The arrangements on the covers are really interesting. Um, and I'm going to give it a, another listen today. Now, the thing about this particular album is it, it came out on ABC Dunhill. And I don't know what their problem was. But all of their music sounds like it was recorded through a toilet paper tube. And I just, I don't know why, but anything on ABC Dunhill just sounds like, just really sounds bad. But for the most part, this is a listenable record. And I'm going to just throw it on for a laugh. But every so often there's this quirky, wow, Three Dog Night did that? And that's why it's uh, fun to listen to this record. So Three Dog Night, captured live at the forum, is my next track. You know... This was probably one of the very first singles that I ever bought in my life, that Jeremiah was a bullfrog song. Well, that's what I was thinking of when I said, you know, there's you go. There's the, that's the three dog night that people think of. Which but song is that? Joy to the World. Joy to the World, of course. This album it came out in 1969. Yes, Joy to the World was on Naturally that came out in 1970. So I, I was still in grade school. It's like seventh or eighth grade. And I remember that was one of the first singles I bought, along with American Woman and... Just the other day, Apple Music Radio popped that up at the long version with the acoustic intro, which definitely wasn't the single version. Have you ever heard that? Oh, yeah. New Mother Nature. Isn't that what it's called? New Mother Nature. I don't know. But yeah, those were those were some of the earliest songs I listened to. 
So this is kind of interesting. This is one of those bands that was number one back in the day and then broke up for a while, looks like around 1976, and got back together around 1982, and has been together ever since in some formation. And I've just never heard of them since then. <laughs> Isn't it captivating? I mean, it, it's archaeological in a way. You know, to go back and listen to Three Dog Night in a totally different perspective. And this album actually helps you do that because this is their third record. They're actually, at this show, they warmed up for Steppenwolf. <laughs> okay? That gives you an idea of where they were uh, in the hierarchy at yeah. the time. But it's amazing that this band is still going strong. There's only one of the original members who's been with it almost the whole time. And one of the other two original members was with them until it looks like 2015. I'm not sure if maybe he died. It's it's like rock family trees, but it the is. branch fell on the ground. It's well, like- <laughs> I'll put a link to the Wikipedia page about them, and they have a timeline with different colors for who's playing, you know, lead vocals, guitars, bass, drum, etc. And you see there's about 25 people who've been in the band over the years. For instance, the bass player has changed countless times. A lot of guitar player changes. But the keyboard player has been pretty consistent. Well, was pretty consistent until someone else came in. Yeah. It is. I remember the Rock Family Trees. That was interesting. That always led me to look for records by bands I didn't know because they were related to other bands. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if we had streaming services back then. Can we turn the record? Can we stop recording now? That's a good idea. This was episode number 158 of The Next Track. Thank you very much for listening. Your comments are welcome. You can start or join a conversation on this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes of this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, tell your friends about us. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.